It is my honor and absolute pleasure to have a guest on that I seriously respect as a comic book creator, Mr. Murder Falcon himself, Daniel Warren Johnson. How you doing, Daniel? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm just going to call you Mr. Murder Falcon. Is that is that all right? Sure. Um, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> no one started calling you that yet, right? It's That'll just nope. be me? All right. I've added uh, it usually, into the... Usually, usually people just say my full name, which is a little weird to hear back. <laughs> right. That that would be weird. Always hearing your like your middle name like you know like the serial killers we always hear their middle name so yeah you don't want <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that but I, I did add to your initials in my notes I'm like MMFDWJ so it's <laughs> Mr. Murder Falcon <laughs> Daniel Warren Johnson I'll call you the whole thing I'll delete it. <laughs> great <laughs> but anyway man thanks for uh, for coming on I, I, I seriously appreciate it and uh, I'm a huge fan I love all your work um, let's just jump right in because I have so many questions and uh, I gave you the safe word in case I, I go too long. <laughs> God, dude, we're all good. Let's do it. <laughs> cool. So you are um, from the Boston area, but live in Chicago. How did that? Yeah. How did you go from there to there? I came out to Chicago for to go to college. Um, I really wanted to go to school in the city, uh, like in the city proper. And uh, all of Boston schools were incredibly expensive, uh, which is kind of the case for all of the Northeast. Um, and uh, so I was looking at other places to go, uh, and I found a really cool liberal arts uh, school out on the northwest side of Chicago. And so I, I moved there. I moved here to go to school there. And uh, yeah, so the, the only reason was to, uh, you know, it was so cheap to come out here and go to school at the time. This is in 2005. So. Uh, I moved out here and I loved it so much. I just ended up staying. And also like after college, you know, all of my professional and friendship connections were kind of based in Chicago. I kind of moved on from Massachusetts. And your family's still all out there in Boston? Yep. I still have a very soft spot for Massachusetts. I'm a huge Red Sox fan. Um, I don't care that much about football, but I like watching the Super Bowl when the Patriots are in it, so that's good. <laughs> You've been watching a lot then lately? <laughs> yeah, more or less. You know, I've been keeping up with it. Um, or, at least, you know, the I Super Bowl, my gosh, was like their 12th appearance in 15 so years. Crazy. <laughs> so it's like, you know, Brady has basically established himself as the GOAT. Um, I don't want to get carried away, you know, because I am a bit of a Fairweather fan. I, I don't keep up with it as much as I should, but I am a huge Red Sox fan. Uh, and I do keep up with that throughout the year. Um, and uh, yes, you're right. My family is still there. There's a local comic shop that I really love that I go to every time I go out to visit. Uh, that is Hall of Comics. Shout out to Hall of Comics. Those are great guys. They're on uh, Route 9. If you're in the Boston area, Sweet. you should definitely check them out. we got to shout out those those comic book shops, man. They need all the help they can get, right? <laughs> totally. Um, and they're great. They've had me out for a free comic book day last year, and they had me out for the release of issue one of murder falcons so it's a great place i mean i love going and uh my wife loves going there too my parents are awesome and it's great to be back home for a little bit doesn't seem like you head out uh, over here to the west coast my part of the world very often but i did read somewhere you went to san diego comic-con this year and it was your first time going to I san went diego last year yep it was my first time uh i had been to san diego because my family flew out to um uh gosh uh, we flew out to California and we drove up Route 1 as a family vacation when I was like 15. Um, and that was really awesome. So we hit up all the major places. Like we were in San Diego, Santa Barbara, Sandy, uh, uh, Los Angeles. And we went, went all the way up, saw the Redwoods and stuff. Uh, so I was there in San Diego then. And then the next time it was when I was at Comic-Con last year. Uh, and I had a really good time. 
I didn't have a booth or anything. I just, you know, I was there with my art rep, Felix Comic Art, did doing some signings and uh, having some meetings and, you know, talking with other creators, and just walking around, taking it all in, which, you know, it's been a long time since I've gone to a Comic-Con just to, like, walk around and check things out, so it was really nice. That's cool. I missed you. I was there. Um, I, I would have loved to have seen you. I didn't, I didn't catch your booth. Uh, Eric Powell was a big highlight for me. He was there awesome. uh, as a creator. I seriously respect him too. And but man, if I would have seen you, I would have been in line. But uh, you must have oh, not. You good. must have just bounced in and out. <laughs> well, I was. That's that's kind of how I treat big shows like that, like San Diego, especially because so much of like the professional and personal connections in comics are being made, like kind of outside of my booth, you know. And this way I'm not like – I love talking to fans and like readers and like engaging. But a lot of times when I go to Comic-Cons, I'm doing that all day while I'm at my artist alley table. And then I have to go to like a meeting at night for dinner and I'm a little bit – you know, I'm a little bit like exhausted. Yeah, you're out of gas by that point. You know I mean? Yeah, so it's really nice to kind of save up the energy through San Diego and then really be on my A game when I have like some important meeting to be at in the nighttime or in the daytime, you know, at San Diego. So uh, – I really, I loved the show. I had a really good time. A lot of really cool original art was there that I got to see. They're all kind of set up in the same area, which is where Felix's booth was. It was a great time. Yeah, it's a, it's insane the, the, the nerd fortress of it, right? Just the spectacle yeah. of it. It's, it's yep. so much. It's overwhelming. It's crazy. It is. But it must have been cool being in San Diego now on this side. I mean, now you must get recognized. You must, people must go, oh, d- dude, it's you know, it's at least kind of point at you and. Go, dude! <laughs> you had some of those. Had, did you have any of those moments at San Diego Comic Con? It had been a few times. Um, cool. Yeah, I didn't think it would. Uh, I think it happened three or four times actually. Just random people were like, "Dude, I really love your work." And I'm like, "Thank you so much." And just having nice conversations and connecting with people. It was really cool. Yeah, I saw your YouTube video. You playing guitar and just shredding. By the way, like hats off. I, I wish I had the patience. And uh, <laughs> I come from a musical family too, and so I'm like, I'm a disappointment in that regard that I don't play in, an instrument. So uh, hats off. But oh, um, I've seen you. You know, the, that's just like the perfect uh, culmination of of just rock and comic art. You, it, I know it was edited. You know, to seem like they were in one take and all together, but that must have been fun. Just like doing some drawing and and following along with your your music track. I mean, that it looked like you had a blast. Yeah, that was that. That's the one with my I'm drawing the cover of Extremity. Yes, that's yeah, the one. yeah. Felix and Yams uh, did that uh, from Felix Comic Art, and it was a really fun day. And that was actually the cover didn't take me that long, you know. So we finished the cover at like. Two o'clock in the afternoon, I took them out for a late lunch, and we just hung out and like went to toy shops and comic book stores around Chicago. It was a blast. I had a great day. It was a great day. That's cool. That's that seemed like they they set up the right you know kind of frame of it, right, to have a little fun and and let you sort of just do your thing. And it, I just, I really enjoyed it. I I, I couldn't turn away. I watched the whole thing. <laughs> awesome. There's ha- so, it was so funny. There's like, you know, YouTube comments are so dumb, but like, there's one YouTube comment down there. It's like. Really cool drawings, but that's some god awful guitar playing. I'm like, damn! <laughs> tell me how you really feel. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, man. You can't read those, <laughs> but I can't. I can't help it either. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, Eric Johnson came into my mind as to kind of the tone of it. Remember Eric Johnson? Oh my god, I freaking love Eric Johnson. Yeah, yeah, that's what it, 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 I was just ringing that bell for me, and I was like, man, I kind of miss. Listening to some Eric Johnson after I saw that. And... Pentatonic master. There you go. Yes. You see, I know it's not 
we're getting off the track of comics, but you like you ever like examine his fingers? They're basically look like like huge gumbies, like just they're just so big. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And there's no taper to them. I know what you mean. They're like these. Yeah, these yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's just these these just like you know, there's just like rhino fingers. If rhino was a you know a, a, a anthropomorphic human, if you can imagine, right? They're just thick and straight and. But then all I listeners, it, yeah, all listeners, just pause <laughs> this podcast and just YouTube Cliffs of Dover. Yeah, the first video you see, it's like an an eighties video. It's like you know, it's like the outfits are really eighties, but the tone, the guitar tone, it'll take you to a new place. Yes, and even that video, I've seen it too. It uh, because it's low quality, filmed whenever it was filmed, right? His, right. The, his fingers are a blur a lot of it, and that's true. I always thought to myself, that's how fast he's moving. It's not technology. <laughs> right. I thought that's how you see him if you saw him up close. His fingers just blur; you can't see yep. them. <laughs> and you also notice how high his strings are off the fretboard. He plays with like super high action. Oh yeah. Um, so it's even more impressive that you know he has to push down that much and that hard, but. Yeah. yeah, Eric Johnson. Well, your YouTube video brought me there, man. I was, that's what I was thinking of. And, uh, awesome. I went down the Eric Johnson, you know, nostalgic <laughs> lane for a minute. <laughs> but, uh, let's, um, first and foremost, uh, Space Mullet. I, um, yeah. I, it's still available on the website space mullet.com, by the way, one T. And yes. that's, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, that's kind of your break in. It seems like you started around 2011, 2012 on, as just a web comic. And yeah, 2012, that, I started, middle of 2012, I started Space Mullet, yeah. And that was kind of your breakout, right? Like, you decided to just do it on the web for free and put it out there and, and kind of, was it, was it, honestly, was it really just a, a planned mission of yours to, let's start there and then I'll immediately make my leap? Is that, is that where you wanted to go? Sorry, I'm, uh, sorry about my sciences. Hold on one sec. <laughs> I'm recovering from a cold, so. Oh, man. Um. Sorry. My apologies for <laughs> uh, being obnoxious on the podcast. It's all good. Uh, yeah, so that I, you know, I wouldn't really call it my breakout because so much of it was just an experimentation in like how to actually make comics. That was all of Space Mullet. Like, if you read through, like, Dark Horse published the first two hundred pages. Um, if you like flip through it, it's like an animated picture book of my style just changing. Um, you know, when I first started, I didn't know what I was doing at all. I didn't know how to use a T-square. Like, I was just, like, figuring things out as best I could and with no real guide. Like, I didn't know anybody in comics when I started. I didn't have any friends who drew comics. I was just doing it on my own, looking up, trying to, like, find websites that, like, you know, would just give me information about what kind of brushes to use and techniques. And I really loved the process and I wanted to teach myself how to do it, but I knew the only way I'd like really follow through is if I started posting something regularly. So thus was born Space Mullet, and it has this kind of uh, it has this kind of like uh, very silly quality to it, which allowed me to take it less seriously than maybe another project like that maybe would be a more weighty. Um, so. And it was like the first character design that I had made that I thought like maybe I, it could last more than like 10 pages and I might enjoy drawing it more than that. And so um, one thing led to another and, you know, I just started going for it. And so the first page like debuted like June or July of 2012. Right. And then two pages every week since then. 
up until like the middle of 20, late 2014. But I started getting noticed in the middle of 2013 when people started seeing my stuff on Twitter. And uh, I did like a backup short for profit, like issue 42, I think, the Brandon Graham, when Brandon Graham re-released the, uh, that profit sci-fi series. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I did a little backup, which is like one of my first published works, I think. Uh, and, uh, then, you know, uh, Dark Horse contacted me about doing some sci-fi stuff in late 2013, which was awesome. And then that got me in with Donnie Cates. I remember I emailed Donnie Cates when I was working on Space Mold to say how much I loved Buzzkill, which yeah. was a four-issue miniseries of Dark Horse that I read. And I just emailed him. I was just like, I love your book. I think it's so, so good. Um, and we just went back and started going back and forth. And um, then, you know, we kind of like chilled out and uh, like, like, you know, we like connected and then we didn't talk for a while. And then mm-hmm. in January 2014, he contacted me about drawing Ghost Fleet. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. One thing I thought was cool, going back to Space Mullet for a second I remember reading some of the the posts, the uh, the comments, and people would have questions or they would rec- make little recommendations, and you were very like responsive. You would say like, "Oh, you know, I'll try that." And did that did that um help you in the process or not? And did you find yourself actually taking some of those uh, things that were on there and and when you moved forward? Sometimes, uh, sometimes yeah. yes, sometimes no. It was more like I was like getting a general vibe of how people were feeling um and i would be like i I wouldn't like change specific things that were already done but they would enter into my mind as i would move forward um and so like okay well maybe i won't do it for this page but you know going forward i'll i'll think about trying that this time um or story arcs or what have you um and a lot of it was like you know I, i read space mullet now and like so many decisions that i made were just like me just like having no idea. So it's almost like <laughs> a kind of like a freedom in that, like, yeah, like not really knowing, like kind of like when you play the guitar, like not knowing a scale and you're just like, well, what's, what sounds good over what? <laughs> if I um, put three fingers here, maybe it'll make a, a cool exactly. sound. <laughs> and you don't know why it sounds cool, but you, it does sound cool. And you know, it's, I think it fits, but you know, when you, I don't, I, you know, you don't know how it all breaks down. Now that I know more about making comics, you know, I feel more confident in that. But at the same time, you do lose a little bit of the sense of wonder of it all as, you know, you start making something from nothing, which I'm thankful for Space Mall for giving me that experience. No, that's great because I think a lot of comic book creators, they, you're initially kind of placed into a lot of restrictive boxes. You know, it's yeah. got to be this many pages. It has to be this um, many issues. It has to be the the trade collection. You know, and you went into that truly, and people use this word too much, like organically. You just sort of found your own way, stumbled upon it, you know, in, in different ways. And I think that led to you in one of your most important sort of styles is your, I would say, you're very lean and mean. You're, you know, trim the fat's uh-huh. too hard of a word, but... Um, I, I think that you have this way of kind of self-editing yourself to when okay. there are slow or, um, I don't know, saggy, all too strong of words. But I think that makes sense now as to where Space Millet allowed you that freedom to find yourself. And then now, in your style now with Murder Falcon, like I said, lean and mean and trim. Does that seem to make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, a big part of that is like a lot of times when I was working on Space Millet, I would have to, I would always write before. 
and like I there were times where I just didn't have any time to write or figure out what the next plot beat would be, so I just make like a knife fight like five pages longer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that's like the only reason. Oh, well, um, you had you had one fan you were really trying to please, and that was yourself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, and like just like I was, Space Mode obviously did not pay anything, so I was like taking any sort of artistic gig that I could, working from home, and those always took priority, and I'd always do those before Space Mode, always. And if I had a week's worth of work that didn't involve Space Mode, I wouldn't work on Space Mode because I really needed the money. Um, so sometimes that just translated to not being able to write. And so, but I would want to hit my deadline anyway. So I just, I'd continue a scene or maybe have a splash that was just a splash to just show where they were, where the characters are, you know, just take extra time with it. Do you miss some of those things that you obviously don't have the success of Murder Falcon and Extremity, um, have taken some things away from you as far as your time goes. Do you miss some of those little things like doing giant, uh, you know, uh, single pages for people and things of that nature or is that something you're like oh i'm so glad i don't have to anymore but do you kind of miss some of those little aspects of what when you were you know the hungry days <laughs> yeah you know i miss i don't know if i miss the actual like ability to like draw whatever i wanted and like stretch it out because i actually am really i really enjoy the streamlined process of like you said trimming the fat Mm-hmm. And figuring out how to tell a story well, like will keep people engaged. Um, but I do miss, I do miss the hunger of like wanting to get better, and I still do want to get better now. Uh, but it's a different sort of hunger. It's like a hunger, like it's like that I can that I have to turn on when I go to my drawing desk. Like I don't, I don't really think that much about drawing when I'm not drawing, because uh, it is like it's an awesome job, but it is a job now. Um, it's like, you know, get the work done, make the coffee, you know, go downstairs, pick, you know, uh, attack the work, get it done, get your page done, and then end the day. Um, so I'm always trying to find ways to, like, get that hunger back, which, you know, I think just the older I get, you know, the longer you do something, you just, you just not burnout, burnout's too strong of a word, but just, you know, it's like, it becomes more of a regular job and less like an adventure or like, less like a privilege and, Sometimes, you know, I have days where I'm reminded of what my jobs used to be like before I was drawing, and then I come back to it even more excited, you know, to come and and draw for the day. It's just, uh, it's something really special. And I have good weeks and bad weeks, you know, great days and bad days of like, man, I really want to draw today. And then just things just seem to come together really well. And then there are other days where it's like, I hate everything. Why I can't even draw this one panel. Um, but even though that hunger is not as strong, I'm much more balanced as like a person now. (laughs) So like when my day, pardon me, when my day ends, I can walk away from the drawing board and not feel like, um, I'm like sacrificing or like I'm not doing my best um, simply because, you know, life is moving and fast and I have a daughter now. She's almost a year old. Oh, wow. And, you know, a wife and like friends, and you know, a life. And yeah, I play guitar a ton and I have different projects outside of comics that, you know, I just love doing. So, you know, it's like it's all there and and I'm trying to give comics their due. And it's nice because I have 
you know, basically like seven, eight hours a day to focus on that. And I focus on it as hard as I possibly can. And as soon as it's time to put the pencil down, I'm doing my very best to just move on to the next, like what, what to, to the next thing. Yeah. They're going the back. One last thing on that hunger thing, right? It's, I read somewhere a long time ago. It's that, that desperation of true hunger that you'll feel. And then it turns into the metaphor of work, um, which is like, it eventually is something, you know, you're going to be hungry and you're preventing it. You know, yeah, it's the yep. difference between really feeling hunger and preventing hunger, you know, but, <laughs> yep. but I can, I can tell you this man, as far an attestment to your work, uh, I only see it getting better and improving awesome. and, I feel like you're constantly um, editing yourself you. <laughs> and going leaner and meaner. So it's uh, awesome. it's a pleasure to read your stuff, man. Thank you, dude. Um, it's a pleasure to make it, and it's really great that you you. I I really appreciate hearing that because someone who kind of like knows my entire body of work, it's it's always really encouraging to hear somebody say like, "Hey, I see you improving." <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, in this world we live into a, where there's yeah. 470 Netflix TV series with eight eight seasons and 23 episodes per season, it's like, uh, man, give me a two-hour movie and let's right. pack it. And let's lean and mean it and get to the end, you know? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> how I feel about comics. Yeah, and I uh, am a big proponent of reading brand new comics every week, and so I appreciate work that is... Um, of like yours, uh, honestly, I wish there was more comics in your style. Um, awesome, but uh, don't get That's me going there. That, yeah. Oh <laughs> well, well, like you know, well, just to, like tangent a little bit, like just roll with where it goes. Like one, I, I I remember I got a not a ton, but I did get some flack from people about ending Extremity at issue eleven. Everyone was like, I don't understand. Like, is it like is the book not selling well, or is like are you burned out? Like, are you are you behind? And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know. Like. Like, it's not that at all. Like, you know, the book's doing fine. Like, I was having a blast doing it. Like, but like, hey, from issue one, Thea is going on a journey and, you know, you're following her and she's got a mission. And the longer the story goes, the less clear the mission gets because you're like, hey, when are you going to actually achieve what you wanted? Oh, yeah. And I feel personally, unless a book has been specifically set up to have multiple casts, like that that kind of changes and grows like as as it goes like i'm really into telling stories about individuals that have a beginning middle and end of an arc i yes. don't i have no interest in drawing something for 5 to 10 years i that would i know as a person would just give me burnout yeah so. i mean as a creator you're going to i can totally respect that you're going to in act 2 just lengthen your act 2 with a lot of tangents and uh, side stories and you're right, yes. you end up, oh, wait a minute, what was Thea's mission from the beginning? You know, yeah, right. I, no, I totally agree. I think that's a younger person's, uh, not to rag on younger folks, but uh, that that uh, like a little bit less of the three-act story. And as older mm -hmm. folks want that beginning, middle, and an end. They just, you know, we we need things to uh, complete their journey. And I, as, a, as a writer, I uh, respect that you go that way. And yes, I can imagine the flack because Extremity was popular. And you're like, yeah, this is it. But <laughs> just telling people, well, like, you know, no, stories, good stories come to an end, people. <laughs> yeah, and, like, like at the end of issue 11, when I was drawing it, I was like, I'm sad to see these characters go, As I was, and I was going into drawing issue 12. But, like, as I was going through issue 12, I was like, but I'm ready to be done. Like, I'm ready to say goodbye. Um, it was just the perfect time. I was, like, just, it was just, just right, um, where I just felt satiated. I, I love drawing Thea so much. 
you know, I love drawing all those characters in that world. And then when it was time to end, it just felt so good to end it. It was just like, this is right. This is right. Um, but uh, that being said, sorry, we kind of like went on a tangent. So <laughs> please bring me, bring us back to where we were. Well, I was going to ask you actually about going a little back to, to, to Ghost Fleet and Space Mullet. So you're doing the the webcomic of Space Mullet, and then uh, you're starting to get some breaks, you're doing some work, and then you email uh, Donnie Cates, and you jump over to, to Ghost Fleet. So uh, what was it like working with Donnie Cates? And uh, you're given just uh, art credit on that, but did you also have... It seems like it's in your flavor. It seems mm-hmm. like it's in your wheelhouse. It seems like it's you, you had your hands in the cookie jar. Am I right <laughs> with Ghost Fleet? I did, I did in the sense, like especially like with character designs and like the look of the world and like the truck and stuff like that, that was all up to me. But like, this was definitely one of Donnie's babies. Like he, he was really passionate about this story. And when he was trying to get me on board, um, he was trying to get me really excited about it as he was like asking me to join. He, I, you know, the excitement was just like radiating off it, off him from the phone, like into me, which was really exciting. And, um, you know, before Donnie was like a super big time superstar, uh, you know, he was just like me, like just trying to make it work, like just trying to get jobs, like comic jobs. And he, like, the Ghost Fleet had just been greenlit. It was like one of his big series that he was like really excited about. It was going to be 12 issues. And he already had an artist that was ready to go, but then that artist dropped out. So they was scrambling to find an artist. And that's when he reached out to me. And, um, so he had most of the story down in his head because he had just been riffing it like since I think he was in college. Like it had been there for a while. Wow. Um, but he needed me to help bring it to life, and so it was a pleasure to do so. And he was also a really energetic and fun and like hardworking creative partner. And he was hustling, man. Like I remember when Ghost Fleet got announced, we were at a convention or something, and like we had those like little postcards that Dark Horse would print out, you know. I uh, like this to say like the book was announced they had the first issue cover on it and Donnie's like oh, yeah. calling out to people at Artist Alley like hey you look like you like trucks come on over here let me <laughs> tell you about my book he was Stan Leeing it out there huh he was like really he was, like, selling and, it <laughs> like you know he just was dude he was selling it so hard you look like you you like bullets so check hard. this out bullets and yeah, trucks exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's like dude i wrote this book it's called the ghost fleet to like some random guy walking by he's like you're gonna love this book why are you walking away don't walk away he was like that guy in artist alley and i was like that's not my style i'm just like sketching or doing whatever and if people want to stop they can and so i'm like oh my god i'm so embarrassed right now <laughs> he was harnessing the spirit of stan lee getting his work out there he was hungry he was starving he was hungry. Was he and like, to, was he, yeah. did he have like that super clear vision or was he, because you said he was working on it for so long, Ghost Fleet, did he, um, you know, when you brought a page to him, he was like, like low, medium or high. Was he like, uh, I don't know. Or was he like, I think that's good. Or was he like, yes. Was he, how was he when you brought, you know, pages to him? Uh, he was definitely the latter. He was like, yes, this is so amazing. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, there was like the only the only things the only notes I got is like the first page I was supposed to highlight a uh, there's like something in the background on the first page the last panel it's like a chalice or something which was supposed to be a way bigger deal like in the end of this the series but since we had to cancel <laughs> it it was like a plot beat that completely like went off like just disappeared but um, I remember I drew a panel and he was oh, like yeah. oh that we need to highlight that and you know he's like. 
I'm looking at it. So, it's it's like a like a like a pot basically. Yeah, with like yeah, with words like, on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be like this big deal, and it never <laughs> came to my never, never had, Yeah, there you go. That's the the podcast exclusive. But uh, that's great. That's what I'm going to use as your uh, photo of being on the podcast. Like, yeah, I'm going to oh, just take great. a picture of the pot. <laughs> um, It'll say M M D W J M M F D W J. When uh, you know the truck that's like blocking the freeway and is on fire. Yeah. Um, in like issue three, I think. So he didn't say that um the truck was blocking the the road he just said oh. the truck was on the road on fire so i had the fencing looking like it was just like in the middle of the road like and it broke down on fire mm-hmm. and uh then he like he's like calls me he's like yeah is there any way to like make it so that the truck is like blocking the road <laughs> <laughs> and i was like uh because i had like drawn a truck on fire with like cars on the truck it was like so many cars um and i was like i'm not redrawing this so luckily we were able to change the um like the guardrails so it looked like it was blocking the that's the only hiccup i think i remember uh being wow um, the only one of of really of like 12 issue comic like the only time we were like we got to recycle this and change it because that's pretty good if that's the only time you know i I think like at the only times like and because any time like I I may have like added or subtracted a panel just for clarity's sake, and he was always fine with it. You know, he just had full confidence in me. That's so, cool. Like, he was kind of like the best. Like his excitement, his exuberance, and his like just willingness to roll with my art style, and just like he trusted me completely. You know, he nice. made for like an amazing co-creator, and I would totally work with him again. That's cool. You drank the you drank the Kate's Kool Aid. You know you were I totally did. You were I'm fully still invested. It. I'm still drinking it. I loved Cosmic Ghost Rider. I love Venom. Yeah, there, uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider was great. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. And Dylan Burnett, of course, helped elevate that book too. And oh yeah. But Donnie brings an excitement to uh, the comics like I haven't seen. And I I read that in I read that in his work when I read Buzzkill. And I read Buzzkill and I was like, this is special. I think this is. I think. Donnie's going to be really big. Like I remember telling my wife that and I was like, I think I should reach out to him now and make a connection now before he gets to a, like a big <laughs> right. star. Yeah. I'm you sure need to hang know. on to him. Uh, you know, just attach yourself uh, <laughs> like a leech. Yeah. Just hang on. <laughs> and he's been awesome too. We still talk, you know, we talk on the phone sometimes and we text off and on, but like he looked over the outline of extremity for me before I sent it to Skybound. Cause it was really my first, outline that i had sent to uh to like a company like and i was a little worried that maybe it wasn't professional enough or something might have been wrong you mean extremity is your first pitch like your first professional submission yeah more or less i mean by that time i had already pitched them and succeeded like i'd already signed the contract and i had written like a 12 uh 12 a 12 like a two-page outline of like each issue like pretty loosely but I had never seen an outline done before, so I didn't know what, if what I was sending Skybound was like okay. Wow. Um, and I didn't want the first document I sent them for them to be like, oh boy, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe we right. should back out, you know? <laughs> so I sent it to Donnie first, and he was at a show, and he called me in the bathroom to talk about it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I really appreciated that. We kind of riffed on it, and he said, uh, uh, "He said, hey, uh, Daniel, this uh, this is really great uh, comic.'" Um. <laughs> yes, that's that's exactly what he did. He was like, "Dude, I'm really impressed. This is really exciting. I cannot wait to read this." 
It's like, you don't have to say that, man. You don't have to BS me. And he's like, dude, I'm not. I tell you if it sucked. <laughs> that's cool, man. Uh, that's a, thanks for sharing. Yeah. That's a great story. Was that pretty much, uh, you've had other partnerships, but would you say that's like your favorite um, comic book partnership looking back? Think about, I mean, with, with a writer, I haven't written, I haven't worked with that many writers, but yes, totally. Right. My favorite writer I've worked with for sure. Very, very cool. Well, even going back, like, uh, what were some of your like comic book influences? What were some things that you loved that brought you to how your work is now? Mm, definitely Calvin and Hobbes. Yes. Cause my first exposure to comics didn't come from home. It was more from, uh, the library. Um, and this is like, this is like mid nineties before libraries really carried comics. And before even like bookstores had like trade paperbacks, um, it wasn't really a thing yet. So, uh, I basically was like flipping through anything that looked like a comic book that I could get my hands on. Yeah. It was much easier to find strips than it was comics, you know, and Sunday funnies and things. Yeah. Yes. Like collected like Foxtrot. I read a ton of Foxtrot. Nice. Um, but Calvin and Hobbes was always the favorite. My grandparents had uh, an old Batman comics from like the 60s. Ooh. Um, I don't remember the artist. He's very famous. Uh, more like very strip style. Also, uh, they had a big hardcover book of all the Dick Tracy comics back that were printed back in the day. Oh, nice. Um, which are actually, there's the food. Sorry <laughs> about that. Um, they're, they're, this really, they're really messed up too. There's some like terrible things that happen to people like people get crushed and like it's almost like a punisher comic it's very brutal wow um had a big effect on me as a kid so dick tracy and then as i started like oh hold on sorry (laughs) yeah it's okay (laughs) (laughs) that'll be 19 dollars hot sauce i gotta say i really love it when like you get a like delivery guy who like looks you in the eye and like talks to you for a little bit. It's like really nice. Yeah. I don't know. You're like, you've got I my food, know. you know, you got my food and I just want to put it in my gullet. Um, you know. Dude, there, there was this guy so that we, we get, um, we get, uh, like it's called imperfect produce. It's like a box of produce that like grocery stores don't want. Cause it looks ugly, but I've heard of that, it's but it's like a third awesome. of the price. Right? Yeah, third of the price. You mm-hmm. get to pick out which produce items you want the week before. So we have an imperfect produce guy that comes and uh, it's usually a different person, but when he dropped it off once, it was like 90 degrees out and super humid, and he was looked like a wreck when he delivered it. <laughs> and uh, I saw he was wearing a Yankees cap, and I was like, dude, I'm really going to go all the way here and say, do you need some ice water, even though you're a Yankees <laughs> fan? Because I had like a Red Sox hat. And it turns out that like he plays college baseball and like he's on the Yankees team like or you know, oh, and uh, he uh, you know he loves baseball and we actually we talked about which stadiums we went to and then like two <laughs> months later he like stopped by with more produce and he's like dude I went to Fenway and like he showed me pictures of, like Fenway Park and it was awesome and he's really cool so there's the little story for that. that's cool <laughs> two sides of the fence but yet you found uh, some commonality that was <laughs> <Yeah>. nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's great um, that you look desperate for a glass of water. You're like, I think you need to hydrate, man. You're uh, barely standing. Let me give you some water. <laughs> so I'm sorry. What were, we, what were we talking about before? Uh, oh, we're talking about influences. Um, Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, that's uh, right. you, yes, Calvin and Hobbes. You nailed Tracy. it with me. Did you happen to see Spencer and Locke? To check that out yet from David Popose. It's one of those. It's the. Uh, it's Calvin and Hobbes grown up. It's it's 
Calvin is now uh, like a detective. And Ooh. yeah, and he's like close to getting it uh, signed on for, I think, a, like, a, like a TV show. But um, if you're a big Calvin and Hobbes fan, it'll scratch that odd nostalgic okay. itch. You should check it out. Spencer and Locke. Definitely will. And uh, Calvin and Hobbes all grown up. But um, that's cool, man. You've had some of the same influence as me. We're close-ish in age. So, yeah, finding okay. strips and things uh, made sense. Do you remember what, like, your big, like, was there a comic you kind of remember? Like, oh, like, this is the first one you read. and Like, the first comic I read was Swamp Thing from Alan Moore, and I didn't get it. I was like, what am I reading? Um, I was too young as well. You know, I was like 10, I think. And, uh, but was there a, was, and so it took me when I read it in my, you know, thirties, like, okay, I understand. But did you have like kind of a first comic that resonated with you that stuck with you? Uh, probably. So this is all in the library again. Um, because I knew that like the Calvin and Hobbes stuff was like, I had written, I'd, uh, read it for so long. And when I was maybe eight, like I was starting, uh, the library was like getting some different stuff. And I remember there was a very early version of Batman year one. With Frank Miller and like Machiavelli, Ma- Ma- Maz- Kelly. I never know how, how to say, say that. It. Yeah, I'm a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I remember I read that, and that really blew my mind. Like with the color palettes and the art style and the SWAT teams, like hunting down Batman. It was so intense. Um, that really had a big effect on me. That was one of the first comics that I ever read that wasn't like a strip comic or something that like you know. Oh, I remember I read the Action Bible like in Bible school, like Sunday school, um, which was another, like one of the first ones that I read that had like a lot of that old school, like Al Williamson vibes. Um, but, uh, definitely, uh, Frank Miller's like Batman year one, then the dark Knight returns that when that got collected, or I don't know what it looked like, but like the library had a tattered copy that I read that was, I loved, um, Tintin, they started getting Tintin. I read a bunch of Tintin. Yeah, it's like um, a like a just an unsung hero of of pulpy style comics is Tintin. Oh yeah, and that clean line style is so. Um, what's the word? It's, it was it, you know I hadn't really seen that. I'd seen like a lot of energy in like Calvin and Hobbes and like very brushy quality like with the Batman stuff, mm-hmm. but um, I hadn't really seen like that style of, of oh, it, art. It, like it harkens line. back to those old uh, Dick Tracy comics you were looking at. It does a little bit now yeah. that you say, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. I wasn't able at that t- at that time period to like distinguish between styles if it had words and pictures in the same place. I sure. was into it, um, but I think if I had to pick one, like the one that like the act like a comic comic was definitely <laughs> Batman Year One. Yeah, so, man, what an influential comic, right? It's such an so impact. Huge. Do you know that? I'm. I, I think that, man, I feel like. DC is eventually going to release a Batman Year One Artist Edition, and when it is released, I will pre-order that so fast. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's coming in that in that yeah. new uh, DC label too. That what is it? That black label? I think that's I, we can count on it pretty much. Yep, let's hope. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So uh, moving on a little bit um, after Ghost Fleet, so that that ran its course, and you did twelve issues of Ghost Fleet, and. Um, I won't spoil it for anyone. Great ending uh, to that, by the way. <laughs> Did you have anything to do with that ending? Uh, that all Donnie because he was working on it for so long? Um, a little bit because it was supposed to be 12 issues. Then it got canceled when the first issue came out. And they're like, we're only going to do eight issues because it sold so poorly. And then when we got to the, the end of the first arc, they're like, we're going to do the last four issues on the Dark Horse digital app. 
because it's selling so badly. Wow. And, uh, of course, that was before, you know, Dark Horse was on Comixology. And uh, basically nobody read it. And, uh, like, it was really sad. The people who really loved it read it. So props to those people. Um, yeah, it but, must have been a timing thing because it was great content there. Like, you know how it is. Sometimes the comics, there's just so much stuff out there. And yep. some, sometimes when it hits. But uh, go, folks, listening now, go read Ghost Fleet. Uh, yes, thank you to my comics. Ian oh, for recommending it to me. Sorry. Thank you, Ian. No, yeah. <laughs> um, Image Comics has reprinted the whole thing, all eight issues in one volume, which is great. Uh, it's got it's like we printed on like really nice like uh, like um, matte like newsprint paper, which we we felt would really do the stories justice. That's cool. And uh, but yeah, it was supposed to be twelve issues. So when we got the notice that it was eight issues, Donnie had already written all twelve issues. And I had just was wrapping on issue six and I, and we, so we had two more issues left and Donnie basically over, I don't know, he pulled a rabbit out of his hat, rewrote the entire series, the the last four issues into two issues. And he did it on the only page I had to redraw from issue six was the last page. Oh, wow. Um, and we were really frustrated because. Not only did we feel like we were got we were we didn't get to tell our whole story the way we wanted to, but um, you know we were really sad that like we felt like people weren't really going to read it when it was on a Dark Horse app. Um, no offense, Dark Horse, but that app was terrible. Oh yeah, yeah, I have to agree <laughs> um, with you. Yeah, I'm like nobody read it. Like this is like no, you know, nobody wants to read it on that platform. So um, we were discouraged. But then Donnie was like, Donnie like was amazing. He, like, again, like, pulled a rabbit out of his head. He, like, made it work somehow. I mean, it is rushed, but, like, it is, like, it's so good for what it is. And I read those scripts, and I was like, you know what? I saw Donnie going all out. This was his baby. And I was like, let's just make this the best thing we could possibly do. Let's just put everything we have into these last two issues. Like, two middle fingers out to the comics Sweet. world. It's like, like there is no tomorrow. Stuff. Here we go. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, just, let's just do it. Like, I remember I put so much time and effort into those pages. Um, and I feel so proud, especially the last two issues. Um, you know, we were, we were crushed. We were crestfallen. Like I, issue 11 for me was going to be one fight scene that I was going to choreograph with no words at all. Awesome. Um, and, we they kind of got taken away from us, so you know that's okay. Uh, I'm so happy with what it is now. I still read it with fondness, and yes. uh, yeah, it's a great piece of work, man. You should be so proud. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thank I, you. I rarely reread stuff, and that's on like my reread list. So that's uh, great. Yeah, no hats off, man. And like so that uh, opened the doors. Uh, you made your own submission to uh, Skybound Image for Extremity. So how did that go? At first, I mean, you had the blessing of Mister Cates and you guys drinking the Cates Kool Aid. But so how did that go from submission? There, you gave it to Skybound Image. Then, like, how did it go from there? Yeah, so I was working on um, after Ghost Fleet. A few months later, I got a gig doing Alabaster, an Alabaster book with Caitlin Kiernan. Oh, um, called the good, the bad, and the bird, and it was terrible. Uh, I hated it. Uh, <laughs> um, it just was a very, it was a very negative experience all around. I would say, 
um, and my art, the art doesn't really shine. I was really kind of burned out. And it was at that time that I was kind of developing my own stuff because I really did want to write and draw my own thing. And in 2013, at Wizard World Chicago, one of the head business guys over at Skybound was just walking around the show, and he saw my original pages, and he bought a few of my Space Mullet pages, which nobody had ever done before. He took me, he got my card, and he basically went back to the Skybound offices in 2013, and he was like, hey, this guy is really amazing. I just stumbled on his work. He's really good. And they were kind of watching wow. me as I was continuing on, and so I was... I made a pitch in December of 2015. Sorry, no. December 2014. Yeah. I worked on the extremity pitch. I made I drew like 8 pages, made a little character sheet and a little, you know, little paragraph about what it was about. And I pitched it to Image Central, but nobody would answer their email. And, well, wait, uh, stop right there. But but that's a crazy point. But you recognized a a guy that works behind the scenes at Skybound walking at a con, like by his I, face? I did not recognize him. I didn't know oh. who he was. He was just a guy with a beard and uh, a real, like he's just a, he looked kind of like a, a bear with a beard. <laughs> uh, his, and you, his, had, a, you had a booth? About, you had a booth set up and he came to your booth? Wizard World, yeah. Okay. And uh, which is, you know, a trash, trash show. But, <laughs> you know, uh, I was doing zombie portraits at the time. So like I would do zombie portraits at this show at the show to help pay for the table because I Space Mullet wasn't making me any money, but I was trying to get the word out about Space Mullet. So I'd have half my table about Space Mullet. My original art was out. You know, you had a card and an email sign up, and the other half was like, I'll draw, I'll draw you as a zombie. It'd be a likeness portrait. So I would be crazy busy at the show because people want to get themselves drawn as a zombie, <laughs> and. Uh, it would be most people who want the zombie portraits and then a few people who are interested in space mullet. And this guy just walked up randomly and he's just like flipping through my original art. And he just was like, dude, this is really incredible work. And I was like, Oh, thank you. He's like, I'll take this one, this one, and this one. Whoa. Man. And, uh, he's like, I work at skybound and, uh, you know, here's my card. And I was like, Oh wow. And, uh, then he like walked away and he emailed me a few months later. He's like, Hey, what are you working on? Oh man. I was like, I'm just working on Space Mullet. He's like, send me some samples of Space Mullet. I sent them over. And he was like, cool, thanks. And I didn't hear from him for a while. And So then in December, yeah, I was working on an extremity pitch. And then I pitched it to Image, and nobody would answer their email. And so I was like, meh, I don't really want to do it anywhere else. I talked to to Dark Horse. I, I pitched Dark Horse, and they were really interested. But I was a little nervous because of my experience with ghost fleet and i'm canceling it sure um so i was really afraid that they would cancel uh extremity if it didn't you know if it, if it didn't work absolutely or numbers wise so before i really pulled the trigger with the dark horse thing i um was at emerald city comic-con in 2015 and i saw sean kirkham uh bear with a beard mm-hmm. at the table at the image table and I was like, Hey man, I, so I have this really cool story. Image won't answer their emails. I was wondering maybe if you could help me out. And he's like, dude, I'll bring my editor. I'll bring the, our main editor over tomorrow morning, be at your table. And he brought over Sean Makowitz, uh, the next morning who looked through my pitch pages and he's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
Wow, that's a cool oh. break, man. That's that you, you, it paid off. Those booths for a lot of people I talk to are, you know, a lot of times don't. So, um, thank goodness for Space Mullet and and uh, you know, beard with a bear with a beard. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Sean. So they're both Sean. So it's a little confusing. But when Sean Mackwitz, the editor, came over, I kind of thought maybe he was blowing smoke up my ass because <laughs> you know, whatever, right? Like he's like, okay, fine. My buddy Sean wants me to check this out. But and then you know a week after the show he emailed me he's like where are those where's your official pitch we want to get this thing going and uh, I did and then by the summer of 2015 I was writing issue one that's on cool Extremity so. and congratulations Extremity has been a huge success um, thank you I, one thing I stuck in my mind I read the letters column at the end of uh, Extremity issue number one and you okay. kind of talk about the birth of it and how it was kind of a you know, a nightmare or a thought of, you know, or a deep, maybe a deep fear of yours that, you know, what happened, what would happen if I lost my, my art drawing hand? Mm -hmm. And I love that. It totally spoke to me because you, you just kind of went upon this nightmare or was it a nightmare? Was it a, just a thought you had? Was it a, um, just a fear that rattled into your head? Yeah, it was, it was more like, I didn't realize how good I had it until like I started doing comics for a living. And then I was like, wait a minute. If I lose my drawing hand, this will all go away. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, drawing and playing guitar is such a huge part of my identity. And my right arm is such a big part of that. That it was just a really, it was kind of a question that like I was asking myself. Like, at what point does my being end and begin with my art and my, my ability to draw the way that I draw now? And... Um, it kind of became this thing that I kind of would get kind of obsessed over. You know, I've always I don't like being near saws, you know. Um, yeah, which is kind of silly, but um, you know, it's just uh, that's that. It's just the way my brain my brain was working at the time, and so one of the things that helped me work it, through it was work putting that kind of concept into extremity. And before. I had put that in extremity. It was just kind of this like vanilla revenge tale that I was having trouble making work. Um, this is before I pitched it to Skybound. Oh, uh, before I pitched it to anyone, it was just like trying, I was like, I knew as I was drawing it, I was like, there is something missing as I was working on it. I was like, I can't pitch this to anyone cause nobody is going to want to do it. Cause it's just a boring revenge story with no twist. There's no like personhood to it. And at that point, came, had you had the um, the red square faces and the green circle faces? At that point, I had the red square faces, but I didn't have uh, I didn't know what the enemy was going to look like. Oh, I just knew okay. it was going to be those tribal markings. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like the world was coming together, the characters were coming together. But like when I first drew Thea, she had two hands. You know, um, she had only like lost her mom. She hadn't lost her arm, and so. Uh, it, it took me putting part of myself into the story for it to really be successful in my opinion. And that's when I knew I had it when it was like, okay, there's something different about this revenge story. And then I feel confident pitching it to people and like bothering them about it. Yeah. Like, hey, I feel I believe in this enough to say like, Hey, I think we should do this. and I think you should publish it. Yeah. I think when you draw upon uh, as a writer, I don't know, I'm just imagining this in my head. If you draw upon an area of an, of imagination, right. That you're draw you're writing from, um, it's different than when you're writing from like a, a true fear, like you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Seems like you've got a lot of uh, meat there, you know, because it's coming Definitely. from a place of true fear for you. Yeah, you know, it's it is a big part 
of me and like what I think about and how I think about things. So anytime that I'm able to put that personhood into a story, I really try and do that because without it, honestly, I have trouble finishing a series or even being able to start it. Um, I needed to have some, some weight in order for me to feel like it's worth uh, this, in order for me to feel like the story is worth telling. Yeah, well, you feel that weight, and uh, it it comes across in a way that is very unique in comics. Uh, for anyone that hasn't read uh, Extremity, go get it like right now. Uh, stop whatever, you, pause this podcast, and go get it. Um, but uh, right the the opening sequence of Extremity, um, mm. you know, showing Thea uh, having her mother killed there. Semi spoiler because it's on page one, folks. Panel one. Totally, totally. Um, <laughs> um, her mother killed, and her, she, her hand is taken right right at that moment. And uh, and that that event just sort of resonates through every single panel and every single page, um, but throughout all twelve issues, uh, to all of them, there's always this flicker of hope that you sprinkle in that drives okay. this story. And sure. m- my question is, was it difficult to find the proper placement of that hope to kind of maintain the rhythm and pace, or like the balance of it, if you will? It's interesting that you say that because I wasn't consciously trying to put hope in there. Like I knew that that was important, but I honestly had no idea how to do that. Wow. So I was just trying to tell the story as best I could and like give readers a sense of what Thea was about and what drove her. And, you know, from the very beginning, I knew I wanted to have multiple characters that kind of are feeling like they should go in certain paths, which make them conflict with each other. Um, so it was honestly, it was just real. My main thing that I was trying to be, that I was trying to figure out was, because Thea goes through this journey, and you know, I mean, I'll try and be not as spoilery less as possible, but <laughs> fair warning. Um, Thea starts in one place and she ends in another. In issue twelve, she's in a completely different headspace. Oh yeah. Um, and to have a character go, to have to have a character go through something like Thea has gone through and travel through that and then end up on you know basically like almost like a 180 degree from when they start um it was very challenging because i was like i was always second guessing myself like would a character ever really do this you know what do i need to happen to thea for her to for her arc to make sense um so that was the main problem for me was that like i was always trying to figure out how to convincingly portray Thea's journey in a way that made sense as to where she, uh, in regards to like where she wakes up or when it, in regards to where she ends up. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was what I was really focused on. And a big part of that was the way that she views her brother. She really respects her brother. She loves her brother. She also loves her dad. And she's like pulled in two different directions and there's that tension there throughout the whole story so that when she finally goes one way, it feels like she could have just easily has gone the other way. Um, yeah. And maybe there's the tension there makes there to be maybe some hope because you always have kind of the brother's outlook on things. Um, you know, I really maybe. don't have it. There were some other, I, other examples of uh, that sprinkle of hope that weren't brother related. I think – it, yeah, it's a testament to your style of writing. I think that you can uh, you. This is showing how long you live in the misery and in the dark that you have to sort of emerge from it and see some light. I think it's a a hidden gem of sort of your personality. You know. Oh, 
Sure. Especially if you didn't do it on purpose. I mean, if you had to, okay, we're going to do eight pages, and then the ninth page is a little hope. You know, if you didn't have that in your back pocket, then I think it's just, uh, it's you, you know? it's. I guess so. I mean, I, I don't know what it would be. Uh, I can honestly say I, I never once thought to myself, I need to make sure there's hope. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, like, I think it was just a... You know what I really, what it really came down to is like I finally had a re- revelation because I was keeping myself up awake. Like everyone's gonna think I'm a fraud, people are gonna think that Thea's just weak by the by issue twelve, and I was like, hold on a second. For some reason, from whatever word or whatever you want to call it, right, the, the the world, the head, the mind space, it's you know aliens, God, whatever. This story of this girl who decides to go a different way than what a traditional revenge story hero would go was put into my head and that character is Thea and it's my responsibility to tell her story as best as I can and get people to understand her. So that was the goal from the beginning and that's what I tried to do at the end. And with the way that it ends, it was very important to me that I didn't actually reveal what path Thea eventually goes down because then it's like me saying, kumbaya, everything's fine. Love your enemies, you know, just, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that's not acceptable because everybody's story is different, especially with something like this. And, uh, you know, people then decide for themselves what path Thea then goes down, which then gives the reader agency in the story of Thea, which was what I was going for the whole time. And that's that's I mean, that's honest. That's all. That's all that I was trying to do. No, you do have a, a, you know, a progression to her and I'm glad you didn't do, you know, the the, um, page one, issue one. Uh, This is where we end. You know, this is showing us that little glimpse they do in comics to kind of like they're worried that we're going to not stay with it in a linear storytelling style. Uh, You stuck to your guns. You didn't say like, you know, uh, well, no, here's where she ends up. So hang with us now for eight issues because we're going to get to that. You know, that's yeah. And that's another reason why I I like me smaller issues runs because it's like it, people have a reason to stick around because they know they're going to get to see the end yes um, so hats yeah. off man it was it was great so one last question on extremity yeah i just uh I, it, one of the main threads main parts of it is lot lots of these complicated family issues and you know father daughter stuff brother sister stuff uh does that come from a real place for you or is that more imaginary you don't have to get personal but you know what i'm saying was that something you had to totally make up because uh you know you're you you, or did was that family complicatedness come from a real place that is extremity Uh, you know i don't know the situations in extremity are so extreme that you know i wasn't i mean I've, i've had conflict with my family like i have two brothers two little brothers of course um you know, I was homeschooled, so I like hung out with my parents way too much, and we got <laughs> under each other's nerves. Um, and uh, you know, I think I, I think I can honestly say, at least for the relationships in extremity, I really did not draw t- on too much personal experience because, you know, I got to be honest. Like my dad is like a really chill guy, like, and he's like the kind of guy who will like. You know, he doesn't really get angry, like not at least not to like strangers and takes a lot to rev him up. Uh-huh. Um, so he's always been like one of the calmest people in the room when there's like an emergency happening. Whereas, you know, Thea's dad is like basically the opposite. Like he's, oh, yeah. it's, 
but you know, it's because he's had this experience, this like terrible traumatic experience. And yeah. so I was more, <clears throat> I was more, it was more of a, 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 a psychological experiment for me because a lot of this like tension and a lot of the drive of this family drama comes from the very intense uh, feelings that Jerome, Thea's dad has. And I was basically trying to get into the mind space of not so much they killed my wife because we've seen that in media so many, so much. Right. Um, doesn't make it inherently bad. I just, you know, it's just, you know, it's just been done a lot. Yeah. I was more, I was trying to put myself in his shoes. If like I had a kid that I, for whatever reason, was not able to protect in a moment of trauma, uh, like, and having to like ruminate on that and like have the visual effect of that trauma be present always. Mm-hmm. Like my daughter can't draw anymore. Um, because I wasn't, I wasn't strong enough. Like I was not able to protect like, so that means that I need to take control and, uh, almost like a, with Jerome's tales, almost like an obsession of, with control of like, it's not just about revenge. It's like, I, I need to eliminate everything that could hurt you. Um, which, of course, I, in my opinion, is a very unhealthy way to look at life. Um, but, I but when you have an experience like that, like that Jerome has, just trying to walk a mile in his shoes, I was like, man, that makes sense. Um, so, that's kind of where I was coming from, and I'm sure that you know a part of me is in Jerome, and a part of my experiences are in Jerome. But unlike Thea's journey, which is so intertwined with my own, you know. Uh, I can't say the same about Jerome, which then I think, you know, in some ways I'm critiquing myself here, but like, I still think like as, you know, in issue five, I'll let readers figure out what happens, but it's such a huge break, breaking bad moment that Jerome <laughs> yeah. does. Like it, I, I was frustrated. I rewrote that issue like three, four times. Um, cause I was trying to figure out how to make him the, and that he has turned antagonist, but readers can still uh, can still like kind of understand him and like and say, you know, well, I I can get behind him in some ways. Yes. But when he makes that action, it's basically like black and white. Like, no, this is bad. You know. But there was no other way to make this to drive the wedge between Thea and her dad. So I had to do it. You know, it's one of the one of those things that still kind of is an itch left unscratched in extremity. Right. Well, you took a character and kind of flipped him on his head. You're right, and and let him live in the gray a little bit. But you still yep. sort of, you still sort of felt for him and backed him up because of the initial sort of uh, setting up of that character. So no, I, exactly. great, great issue, man. I loved it. Uh, Thank you. I love. It. Well, where does where does the spark happen? Where does where do the ideas come from? When does Inspirado, uh, you know, itch? When does it for you? <coughs> Pardon me. When the delivery guy shows up, right? That's when the, it happens. You're like, oh. right. <laughs> And you look into his eyes. and you. <laughs> a big source of inspiration for me is my sketchbook and visual imagery. Um, I've always been a visual person. I've always drawn more than I've ever written. Um, and just the look of something really gets me excited, uh, just artistically. Uh, I do get inspired by plays and movies and TV shows and music, but not to the extent of like, if I see an image that I draw, um, the entire 
you know, Thea's character was started by just me sketching and like me kind of finding this character in my sketchbook and trying to play with different ways to like play with faces to make them more interesting because faces are awesome. But like, I'm also a cartoonist. I'm always trying to figure out ways, easy ways to to get to translate things to to the readers. Yeah, you nail the sullen look. You know that that yeah. one, you've got it down. Like it's hard for people to capture that in comic book art, which I've been looking at comic book art for seventy five years now. Like <laughs> it, it <laughs> that's a, like a seriously important sort of face to capture. And you're right, you're in between sort of heavy reel and cartooning, and uh, you've got that sullen. Was that you know something you just work on constantly, and you have seventy five hundred pages of that sullen look to get it right? I think, you know, it's kind of the natural way that I draw characters because I like to see how they emote. Um, I've also been trying to draw characters in my sketchbook that are smiling more just for practice um, (laughs) and have like moments of levity. Um, But a lot of that is just like practice and doing it a lot. And like, I mean, we as readers want drama. Yeah. And uh, if a character looks wooden when there's drama, it's like nobody really cares. So I'm always trying to figure out ways to show uh, Solon looks subtly, you know, yes. uh, like, and like, cause you know, if you look at like a photograph of somebody sad, their eyebrows aren't always like pushed up in the middle, which is a lot of times what I default to. Yeah. Um, a lot of times they're furrowing their brow, but there's like the muscle pattern in their brow makes them look like they're sad and not angry. Um, so studying, you know, things like that. And like, I always, whenever I'm talking to somebody, not all the time, but like a lot of times, like, you know, you're talking to people that are having real, a real day. It's not going well, and I'll look at their brow and be like, "How how are they emoting right now?" <laughs> I think oh, I found like, your trick. I think your secret is you totally correct me if I'm wrong. You've looked at every photograph from the late 1800s and early 1900s right. of people's faces. Out <laughs> 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 of something happened recently, and I was like, "Well, that's Jake from Murder Falcon." I was looking at this old picture of uh, it was um, oh, it was the uh, the creator of uh, of Winnie the Pooh. Uh, he oh, has right, all these sure. photos of his son and how he created the Winnie the Pooh universe. And every photo of his son from the late 1800s was was Jake from Murder Falcon. Uh. Uh, so I was just like, that's how he did it. And it came to me the other day, but not true, right? It's not from uh, – it's just uh, your style. I mean, but <laughs> I do love old art pieces of work, of art, but no, not, not necessarily. Jake is pretty much from my own imagination. I was trying to make kind of an overweight metalhead. And that's oh, where he came from. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, and you know, it's funny. So like Mike, when we were uh, coloring issue one of Murder Falcon, Mike kept thinking that his, um, that his t-shirt line was like a triple chin instead of just like a double chin. <laughs> so like, I mean, I get proofs and I'd be like, no, 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 no. Jake, it's a t-shirt. He does not have a triple chin. He's not that bad off. <laughs> yeah, no, you nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, chubby, you know, blonde haired rocker. It's perfect. Um, but, uh, murder Falcon, let me roll into that then. Um, sure. I, I tell you, you're on the fourth issue of eight, uh, telling you folks right now, if you haven't read murder Falcon, you need to, it's a, it's a top pick here on the sunspots comics podcast. It's been a number one pick, uh, constantly. It's the, uh, 2018 sunspot award winner for best fantasy comic book. Uh, if you didn't know, it's, it's awesome. it, many accolades here from the sunspots comics <laughs> <laughs> podcast and myself. But uh, Murder Falcon speaks to me on a whole bunch of levels uh, because there are so many little facets of it that I love. I absolutely love. And uh, I did read your letter at the end of Murder Falcon issue one. I always read your letters, which a lot of times I know as a comic book reader, I see paragraphs of text and my eyes roll into the back of my head. 
and I and I think, why am I reading? Because I'm I'm a comic book reader. I'm not supposed to read mm. paragraphs. That would be sure. like reading a book. But um, <laughs> I learned from Extremity to read your pages uh, at the end of of issues, and I did. But how did you come up with the complexity uh, that is Murder Falcon? Like, what influenced influenced you, and how did you come up with Murder Falcon? Well, the initial idea came from uh not visually this time actually uh i it came from my brother is a uh he loves to do roller derby men's roller derby is big out in massachusetts oh wow um he's a great roller skater and he was he was joining the mass maelstrom b team and so he needed to come up with a cool name so he was texting me all these ideas for names for his roller derby name and one of them was murder falcon and i texted him back saying like hey look a lot of these names are cool, but you can't use Murder Falcon because I'm taking that for a comic book. <laughs> wow, he was denied. He was like, "Sorry." He was denied, but he did end up with a he did end up with a Andrew Lloyd Shredder. As hey, him, so that works. I was uh, gonna say we're like yeah. Fighting Falcon or you know Falcon of Justice or you know, something really regarding Falcon, sure. but no, he went. Wow, okay, <laughs> whole um, other way. Yeah. So uh, from that. Then that night after I got that text, I was just like laying awake at night before I went to sleep, and I was like, "Murder Falcon." A falcon that comes out of a guitar that when it's shredded on, he fights evil really well. And the better you play guitar, the better he fights evil. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just came to me, like that concept, like the initial concept. And I was like, this is perfect. I, I, this is going to be my next book. You know? <laughs> and that was the initial selling point. That's what I pitched Skybound when it was Emerald City 2016. Sorry, or 2017. Oh, 17. When I was uh, almost done with uh, Extremity, I was like on issue oh. eight or nine or something, and I basically finished writing it. And they were like, I was talking with my editor, and, and I was like, "So, what are you guys thinking for after Extremity?" And he's like, "Well, we have this idea. We have this book that maybe you could work on. Like the, uh, you know, we have a writer that we're really excited about that we think you'd pair well with." And I'm like, "Honestly, I just want to keep writing and drawing my own stuff." And Sean, my editor, was like, okay, what do you have in mind? And I was like, it's called Murder Falcon. <laughs> he goes, what? <laughs> yeah, and you know what's really funny is at Emerald City that year, I was like hanging out in a hotel room the night before just having some drinks with some fellow comic friends. And uh, like there were some like young young guns and like some industry giants there too. And what, I'm, I'm going to name drop here, but it's all, it's no, all positive. No, uh, so Joe Casey was in the room with sunglasses on, you know, <laughs> a dark room with sunglasses on. Oh, uh, it wasn't dark. It was okay. like very bright. So maybe that's why he had a sunglasses, but the sunglasses <laughs> were there and he was sitting in the corner just like, you know, just, we were kind of like just listening to his stories about comics and like Ramon Villalobos was there, a few other guys and, um, we're all kind of ribbing each other and like having a great time. And then I said, like, I'm like, guys, my next book, it's called Murder Falcon. I'm pitching it to Skybound tomorrow. And they just lit into me. They just thought I was the stupidest thing, you know. <laughs> They're like, oh, Murder Falcon, what are you, what, is he going to fly out a window? And They're just giving me all this shit, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, Joe Casey's like, do you even like your career? Do you want to throw it in the trash? Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, it was. I mean, it was all in good fun, but it was like, it's holy. we were all having a great time. Right. So the next the next day, I pitched Sean, Sean, my editor, in the morning, and he's like, "Well, I really love it. Uh, you know, we'll have to do an official pitch, but like, I I think it sounds great." And I was like, "Great, so we'll, we'll send together an official pitch." And 
then that day, uh, I was at my booth and like Ramon was there and a few of the other guys that were in the hotel room were sitting right next to me. So we're all hanging out and it was like winding down. Uh, and who walks up to my table, but like Robert Kirkman walks up Oh! and he goes, Dan, Hey, heard about murder Falcon. And like Ramon, like whips his head around to like, listen in. He's like, I freaking love it. <laughs> Best <laughs> idea ever. <laughs> and I just looked over Ramon. I mouthed like, I told you so. You're right. How you feel it that Ramon? <laughs> sweet, sweet, sweet justice. Heck yeah. Um, so that's kind of how it. You know, that's the story of how it was, came about at Skybound. Skybound, to their credit, man, jumped on board. And uh, it was just a great little palate cleanser uh, from Extremity, you know, which I wasn't I wasn't initially planning on it being so heavy as it got, you know. Okay. Like, but I couldn't help it. Like, it's like I said, like, my stories, they just have to have some sort of deeper, you know, core Otherwise, I have trouble working on the book. I have trouble making it work. Well, so. you, you again, uh, like Extremity, harnessed uh, the power of, uh, of a true thing you love, which is to play guitar. And yeah. that's all. That's uh, the core of, of Murder Falcon, is harnessing that sort of love of metal and music and playing the guitar. Yes. And, uh, and then you uh, sprinkle in moments of, uh, of character development that go so deep and uh, again, I got to sort of ask you, as I do with Extremity, uh, because there's a twist, and uh, without spoiling everything, with uh, happens to Jake, our main character, and uh, the, his wife. Um, did that come from any real place again, or did you fully just imagine that? Um. So initially, so the way that it started is that well, I, I don't know how spoiler we can get. How can, how spoiler? Can get. <laughs> you know, stay in the light area. I want folks to read this if they haven't, but. Uh, you know, you got it. it's your world. <laughs> well, let's see. I'm trying to figure out how to talk about issue four without giving anything away. It's tricky. Um, <laughs> it is tricky. I'll just say, like, there's a lot of my story in Murder Falcon. Maybe not the exactly the specifics of it, you know. There's some give and take. But I was going through a lot of, like, health stuff uh, when I was working on Extremity, which was, like, it was never life threatening, but I like a lot of chronic pain and like, you know, just, it was awful. It was really terrible. And, uh, it really affected me and like really did a number on my psyche where I kind of like, I don't know if any of your listeners have experience. I hope not, but with, with like chronic pain and symptoms like that. But when you have chronic pain like this, when it goes away, if it's been happening for long enough, all you can think about is like, when is it going to come back? And it's hard to enjoy things, normal things like a cold beer or a nice day outside. Cause you're always thinking like, okay, when is this going to come back? Is it coming right. back? Coming back? Come back. And when it does, you're like, it came back. Oh God, here it is. It's terrible. Yeah, right. here it is. My life is over, you know? And so I, I kind of got into this like fear cycle, which was really unhealthy. And uh, it took a lot to kind of break out of that as I started getting healthier. Um, and aggressive music and like also like fun 80s like shred metal was a big part of that healing process for me was like learning to let go. And uh, so a lot of that story is there in Jake. Wow. Um, there, there are elements of Jake's story that I, you know, obviously we have there's no correlation, but that's kind of where it came from. And that's kind of where issue four it leads. Um, 
So I hope that's not, I don't know. I, I can't talk no. about it without giving some away, but that's good, uh, man. You got it. You, you know, yeah, you, you tickled it with a feather. No, but thank you. Right for, thank you for sharing, man. Cause, uh, we all know someone or have, have dealt with it ourselves, right? With pain. And you're right. It's, it's the, yeah. that it's that looming in the back of your mind that it's, that it's uh, coming back. And that's kind of the way murder fa- Falcon feels when you sprinkle it in at a moment. It's like, he's having that, that, the the terror anxiety that hits him. Yeah. And you know, to be honest, like I had had friends before that had dealt with some of this stuff and you know, you're always thinking like, Oh man, they're still ruminating on that. Like it's still there for them, even though they may be healthy, you know? And you're like, well, and like, it's a, more of a subconscious thing where it's almost like, man, they haven't gotten over it yet. You know, yeah. you're like kind of mystified and which is like, cause I, I never lived it. And then now living it, it's like, so like almost like for, you know, the, the people outside of Jake's life, it's almost hard for them to understand because it's like, they haven't been through that. Yeah. And, uh, so there's that distance and that tension. And so, um, that, so that, but it's, it's, but it goes both ways. Cause then with Jake, you know, he is responsible for picking up the pieces and like choosing to get up and like smell the smells of life. Like, you yeah. know, and so, but one of the ways that he's able to do that is through music and that's murder Falcon the spirit of Murder Falcon is there. Is that? Is why it's there. Oh, for sure. And then I, I, I feel like with this being the fourth, you're going for like a two arc split. It feels that because uh, when uh, issue number four was a top pick of the week, uh, I, I talked about without spoiling your insane cliffhanger at the end of four. That, sure. Uh, I don't even want you to tell it to me uh, off the air uh, or anything because I just want to okay. experience it as it is. And uh, but wow, uh, what a way to sort of put a giant exclamation point onto the end of the sort of first arc of it. And uh, by the way, note on giant exclamation points, uh, your lettering is phenomenal in this. It's just this feeling of nostalgia that goes through every time I see a junk, 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 anything that happens. I'm just like, I'm all in on your lettering. And uh, I even gave an award for best letterer, which you won uh, in 2018. But uh, where, where does that all come from, man? Your lettering style. And, And also because you're doing the art, I love the way that you will complement your own art. You don't want your own lettering to take over your own art. And yes. so you're able to balance that lo- lovingly. But how did you come up with sort of your font style of, of your lettering? So my font, so, so all of my automatopoeia is done by hand, like on the page. And then Russ Wooten does the, like, does the letters, like does the, the words in the balloons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was... I wanted to hand letter the whole thing, balloons included, uh, but I wasn't good enough at it. So Skybound around issue three wanted to switch to Russ. So what Russ did is he uh, took my style and he made his own font based on what I was already doing. Excellent. Uh, Yes. And so we also worked out a way to make the balloons look even scratchier um, and like hand done like it was in the first few issues. Um, Great so, transition. Russ did a way of capturing your essence yes. of your lettering. Yes. So you don't even yes. really feel it or notice it. It's a very smooth in transition. So, but for, as far as like the automatopoeia goes, like a lot of this came from, uh, I don't know why I'm thinking of Frank quietly. Cause he's not really known for doing like automatopoeia, but I don't, Oh, I can see that. Isn't there some things in like all-star Superman where like 
he's using part of the background to like make like a boom sound. Yes, there's like part of the explosion and a mountain. Yeah. I remember uh, and yeah. uses that dirt as a boom sound. Yes, yes, that's right. So that had a big effect on me, and like I also so I love Invincible. I think Invincible is so awesome. Me too, man. Uh, one of my favorites of all time. So good, but my one gripe, and I would tell, I would tell Robert and Ryan this to their faces, <laughs> and I tell Russ too. The only thing that bugs me are the digital automatopias. It just bugs me. They just, I, it, I don't I know why. That. It just, it, well, because Ryan's art is so dynamic. I'm like, I don't want you to cover this. Yes. With, I'd almost rather not be not, have no automatopia than if it's going to be done digitally. Like, I'm totally fine with, like, digital lettering. But, like, automatopoeia, give me the hand-drawn. It's just, yes. like, a personal thing that I want to see. I love to see other creators do it in ways that they like. Um, it's not so, being done, so you keep doing your thing, man. <laughs> Please. Cool. Yeah, it's also, yeah, it's kind of rare. Like, you don't really it's see... It's rare. And, like, even, like, when, like, Sean... And I love Sean Murphy's art, but when he does, like... Uh, Automatopoeia. It's digital too, and I'm like, come on! It's like you're really, you're such a good artist. You could find such cool ways to use this. Yeah, um, it looks like a plate, right? You can feel it, right? Yeah, which is something that like Frank Kiley would do. He it was like super artsy with it. I'm a little more scratchy, um, but like the fact that like you know, also like as far as like time savers, like I'm not like it's not like I'm throwing in a boom so I don't have to draw a background. But, like, sometimes it really works. Like, if I am on a deadline, you know, like, sometimes I can put that in there. It, and it compositionally works really well. Right. Um, it just is fun. And I love drawing letters. It's just fun. It's a different It's a different animal. Well, you're doing it just right. Because I would imagine that's a, that's a balance that's got to take some, uh, you know, some expertise in doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm doing a comic right now with a friend as well. And I constantly tell him... You know, uh, I will not crowd. I will not cover. And you've also balanced that, you know, to where mm. it's just off to the side or even your onomatopoeia is sort of coming off the page. So it's like in that blank panel space. Love it all. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate that. No. And one thing, uh, another question too, um, Magnum Chaos, your primary bad guy in this. Yeah. Um, I have this th uh, sort of belief that a really good villain in sort of any medium or especially in comic books, but any medium has to kind of somewhat come from a real villain or at least aspects of a real villain in, in a writer's life, a creator's life. Is there any of that in there? Cause we don't know this character that well yet Magnum chaos in murder Falcon, but mm -hmm. is there anything in there? Is there a real villain in your life that has sort of echoes of your comic book villain, Magnum chaos? To be totally honest, like Magnum chaos is like, I, I've actually gotten some flack for like his like design and like the way that I presented the bad guy in Murder Oh Falcon. no, yeah, no. Well, listen. yeah, it's fine, <laughs> whatever. Like, but the the goal with um, Magnum Chaos was to almost like have it not be about the villain. Like, I don't want to get too spoilery, but like the book, it's not really about. It's, like, so not about Magnum Chaos. It's all about right. our cast. And, like, if I were to, like, put in, like, a, a, a villain that had, like, legitimate fears and worries and, like, desires, it would almost, like, take away from 
the uh, story of like Jake and his band. So murder. Uh, so Magnum Chaos is almost more of an entity than he is a villain, if that makes sense. Yeah, perfectly. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about that because I don't want to give anything away. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. No, because you're right. It's about the primary cast here, and it's like issue three where we get, I would say, the most panels of Magnum Chaos. Yep. So yeah, we. I think you've clearly express that that you know yeah he is a uh, a sort of power a force to be reckoned with not someone we're going to get a three-dimensional treatment of which i'm okay with and also uh he's like completely like his design is like so stupid obnoxious it's like yeah the, it's like the ultimate like 80s villain like over design <laughs> yeah like too many things <laughs> on him like that was definitely done on purpose Oh, it's like uh, somebody held a hand grenade, you know, and then oh, yeah. it was frozen at that moment of explosion. That's kind of what Magnum Chaos... like four eyes. Yeah, yes. and then mutated from radioactivity into these eyeballs. <laughs> uh, no, I like the design because it's like nothing I've seen. You know, it was just a, like, what? That that was perfect. That was my reaction to seeing Magnum Chaos for the first time was like, says it, it was like, what? Because it's just, you know, it's like nothing we've seen, and it's odd and weird, and almost at different angles, it looks like it, like it's he's mutated, or, you know, like he's gelatinously sort of changing, like a little, you know, <laughs> symbiotic in a way, you know totally, what I mean? Totally, totally. So, uh, no, um, uh, you know, I, I disagree with the flack. I, I love the design of cool. him. And uh, I say, you know, if anything, you should go more with in how... It looks at other angles. He's changing, you know, just be like in panel to panel. He's different looking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great when I have a, a character like that, because if they need like if they need like a key or a blade, I just like can make his hand turn into a blade. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very uh, symbiotic almost. Yep. But uh, man, but besides uh, as I'm wrapping Murder Falcon, thank you. I could go on and ask you 47 more questions, but uh Oh, good, man. Um, what uh, is there other things you're working on besides uh, Murder Falcon ending at eight? Is, was there other things uh, in the bank coming out you can talk about anyway? Um, you know, honestly, I'm still trying to figure out what the next thing is. Um, Great. I can't lie. I mean, like at this point, especially with Skybound, the I, you know, I'm more or less. I'm not saying this in like a braggy way, but it's been made pretty clear that I can more or less do whatever I want to do. <laughs> That's great. You wrote your own ticket. Um, You're writing your own ticket at this point. A little bit. And so I, it's almost like too much pressure, if that makes sense. Like, uh, I, have, I don't know. I, I'm really excited about what's next. But I'm also, I, I like, like Murder Falcon and Extremity before it, it was driven by such a pure need to make. Um, I want to make sure that I have some of that energy when I start a new project. Yeah. Um, so, and I have a, a bunch of ideas that are all really cool setups, but I haven't necessarily found the human element and how to put myself in them yet. So, you know, I'm still, I'm like in the middle of drawing issue seven right now. Okay. Um, and it will end at issue eight. And after that, by that time, I'm planning on being ready to jump right into something new. Well, I know you'll probably need some time to sort of refresh and recharge the batteries and get your creative juices kind of going and shred some, you know, Eric Johnson, you know, totally. and, and just, uh, <laughs> you know, because uh, <laughs> I, I, I say keep going where you're going, uh, keeping it pure to things that truly affect you. And uh, I think you just need that time to, you know, to, to water yourself and 
recharge. So I hope you get that. I know that you're on a ball. You're on a ball that's rolling now. But um, I really hope you get that because whatever it is, um, I don't care. I'm buying it. Big fan and uh, always will be. And thank you. And what are you uh, what are you reading now? Like what's what's on your pull list? What are you reading right now? Are you reading anything current? Like what are you what comics are you into right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm not reading. To be totally honest, I'm not reading a ton of current stuff. The current stuff I am reading is uh, Martian Manhunter, the new series with Riley drawing it. Nice. Um, and Steve Orlando is writing it, right? I do. Oh, gosh. No. Um, anyway, I forgot. But yes, uh, uh, Riley oh, Rossmo art always I comes to so mind. Sorry. In the. <laughs> I sorry, I'm so enjoying many. it, and there's a there's like an alien sex scene in issue one. It's just amazing. Yeah, that's so weird and twisted. Oh, it, it, it is so cool. You're kind of um, like, is it a sex scene? You're like, what did I just yeah, look yeah, at? Like, what, yeah, what is happening? <laughs> it's oh, a little like Magnum so cool. Chaos. Like, like how, what am I it's looking been at? So long since like I've had a scene in comics where I'm like, I'm so interested in this, but I'm still confused like about like because you because I think it mostly is like a sex scene, but you're also like, this is so like effed up. I yeah. love it. Are they fighting or are they fornicating? Not quite sure. Yes. It's like two butterflies, you know, or two birds attached. Totally. You're not really sure what's happening. <laughs> um, and then uh, I'm reading uh, Donnie and uh, Ryan Stegman's Venom. Nice. Which I'm loving. Um, let's see. I just went to the comic book store. Uh, I'm reading like a lot of manga and a lot of uh, – uh, I'm reading <laughs> – so I'm making my way through Berserk. Um, I'm on like volume 14 or 15 or so. I'm enjoying that quite a lot. Um, I'm reading My Hero Academia. Uh, I read these things on Comixology because there's too many volumes. Yeah. Uh, making my way through the first Dragon Ball series. Uh, this is good because it's like I, the art is almost like be meant to like be read fast. So I don't feel like I'm missing anything. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, that does. Uh, I love One Punch Man. Uh, I'm also reading, uh, I'm going through on Comixology all of the uh, Punisher Max series again. Oh, yeah. Wow. Because I've read all the Gore and Parlov issues, um, like uh, Long Cold Dark and uh, Mm -hmm. Valley Forge, Valley Forge, but I haven't read the whole series. And uh, because, like, Gorin was, he's one of my favorite artists of all time. Yeah, he's great. Uh, Punisher the Platoon was probably my favorite series from last year. Hmm. Um, and uh, a big credit goes to him on on the art for that. I mean, uh, it's Garth Ennis. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I always get him and uh, Warren Ellis right. mixed up. Yeah, names uh, are too close. I know what you mean. Right. <laughs> so uh, Garth Ennis, I Warren love Ellis. his. I love his Punisher writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like his other stuffs as much, but like right. I love, love, love his Punisher stuff. Um. So I don't know. I'm 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 reading a lot of books now. I'm I'm I kind of go back and forth. I'm reading uh, a bunch of like novels. Like I'm in the middle of Hyperion by Dan Simmons right now, which is just amazing, fantastic sci-fi. Um, I'm reading a book about like the history of the electric guitar. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, I'm reading Brandon Sanderson's new uh, new book. Uh, that's part of the uh, uh, Stormlight Archive. Uh, Oath, Oathbringer. So, I'm like always constantly reading and trying to fill my head with more stuff. And I love reading books, especially because I get a little bit more inspiration cerebrally from them 
than I do from comics right now. Um, part of it is like I'm in comics so much all day uh, that I, I don't read as much as I used to, but I still uh, there's still some books that really get me excited to read. So yeah, you're knee deep in some uh, girthy girthy books, especially the manga world. A lot of chapters and volumes and issues, man. You've yeah, uh, well, got a lot keeping you, you busy. Comicsology. Yeah, <laughs> you've got a ton keeping you busy. Have you ever thought about doing like a like a metal playlist for Murder Falcon? So there actually is one. Okay, uh, which which I, issue? Uh, I have them all here. Well, so 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 there's a few different aspects here. The metal playlist is kind of for the whole series. Okay, that's kind of like that should go next to it. It's on my. Uh, if you want to find it, your mm-hmm. listeners can go to my Twitter page, which is Daniel Warren Art. And uh, I've pinned it. The tweet will be pinned for the duration of Murder Falcon. Oh, great. I'll grab it link. and retweet it, too. And I should also mention I'm writing and performing and, and recording a, uh, a, a track from the band that is in Murder Falcon. Oh, called, Bruticus? Uh, yes. Awesome. So, so there's a Bruticus Bandcamp page. It's bruticus.bandcamp.com. If you just Google Bruticus, B-R-O-O-T-I-C-U-S, it's one of the first things that shows up. Uh, and I've written, I've written, there'll be eight issues, so there'll be eight tracks total, and I've written four tracks so far. They come out the Tuesday before the next issue drops. Wow, awesome. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm bookmarking as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> so it I'll retweet. Pretty, you know, there's some ignorant riffs on there, but uh, I love doing it, so it's really fun. Excellent. I'll make sure, uh, even on the podcast when I post it, I'll uh, add all those links in there too, so people can find them really easily. But uh, man, uh, leave us with uh, some. Give, leave us with a maybe nugget of advice for uh, creators, for artists and writers, because you wear both hats uh, that are maybe trying to get into the business, like myself. Like what? Um, sure. What nugget of knowledge can you leave us? So it kind of goes back to the uh, the hunger thing we were talking about. The hunger can be like a really amazing tool to like push yourself and drive to break in and to succeed. I, I've been on both ends, like trying to break in and then having broken in and kind of being in the industry for a while. And there is something special about trying to make it happen. Yeah. I know that sounds really like, um, easy for me to say. Um, and like, maybe like, like because I'm on the other side, it's easy for me to say, but I remember what it was like before I broke in. And one, if I had like one piece of advice for myself back then is that try to enjoy the process more, try to enjoy the act of creating more. Yeah. Um, cause there is like a purity to it. There's a reason why we want to do this, uh, full time. It's because we love it. And yeah. the act of doing it needs to be just as important as being successful in it. Um, because otherwise, I know for me, like I was, I was treating it like I was so focused on it that I would almost lose the joy of actually doing it. That wasn't all the time, you know. It was it was a give and take, but because um, I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of creators out there, legitimate artists, who for whatever reason, you know, maybe they just don't have quite the skills, or they're just like they're not quite there yet. And they ha- they're having trouble breaking in, or and some of them never break in, but like, not everybody can be in comics just because it's just not everybody can. There's just too many people who want to do it. Um, but everyone deserves to be seen, 
everybody deserves to be making art. It's like a right and to put it out there and everybody should be enjoying it as they do it. Um, and everybody can, everybody has the possibility to do it. It's just a matter of pushing yourself, but at the same time being healthy about it and enjoying the journey and especially the act of creating. It's hard to do sometimes, especially when you're focused on a goal that seems so far away or so impossible, but it is possible. And, uh, I wish you and all of your listeners luck who are trying to do the same. Thank you, man. That's lovely. It, it means a lot to me as a, as a, as a comic book creator myself. And, uh, that, 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 that powers me, man, like murder Falcon. That's like, you just played a, an awesome metal riff for me. Right just on, powers me. <laughs> Thank you. Seriously. It, that, uh, great words of inspiration. I appreciate it. Of course. Well, uh, I think we've said enough. I think we've said it all. Thank you for, for being here again, folks. This is Daniel Warren Johnson of extremity of murder Falcon of, of space mullet of, uh, of, of ghost, of everything, of all of them, please, uh, find his stuff, ghost fleet. Um, find Warren, Daniel Warren Johnson, look up his stuff. Look, listen to some of the past podcasts. He's been, his comics have been a top pick. Uh, thank you, Daniel, for being here. I, I, I just appreciate it. And, uh, it means so much to me, so thank you. Dude, uh, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for the great questions. Thanks for being a great conversationalist. It was my pleasure. Well, thanks, man. And uh, I'll be looking forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, maybe I'll hit you up when, when Murder Falcon wraps, and I'd love to have you back on if you'd, if you'd be so kind. Of course. Fantastic. Well, thanks, man. Have a good rest of your night. Sorry your dinner's cold. Uh, please it's apologize. Okay. <laughs> apologize Don't to your wife for that. me. It's okay. <laughs> And your daughter, daughter Thea, I'm sure that's your name. You don't have to tell me your name, but that should be your name if it's not. It ends in an A. Excellent. Close enough. But thanks, and have a great evening, Daniel. Thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you. Of course. Take care, and thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye.
series where the hero saves a girl somehow Where the growth of the friends, the adventure never ends We will save the world somehow It's Sunspots Comics now